Well, let me pray again, just as I'm opening up the Word, getting set up here. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to be together as brothers and sisters, to worship, um, to, to engage in fellowship. Holy Spirit, we thank you, knowing that you are already here in the midst of us, where two or more are gathered in your name. We long to bring you glory. We long to be a part of the work that you're calling us into. Uh, it's amazing. All of us are engaged in ministry work, where it is that you have called us, placed us. And so we ask that you would make our hearts and minds, our spirits, tender to the Holy Spirit's voice and touch, that you would continue to be leading us as a people, as your people, alongside of you and the work that you are doing and that you have called us into. We thank you for your word and the opportunity to study to, together this, this amazing gift of prayer, um, the opportunity to co-labor alongside of you. We are blessed. We are grateful. We have much to be thankful for. I pray that you would come now, that you would remove me, and that you would, that you would speak, that you would be glorified, that you would be touching, um, touching us where we need to be. You'd be encouraging, provoking, challenging, these are the things that I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, we are going to be uh, jumping around to a couple different passages in Scripture as we look at this topic of, of prayer. Um, and so the, the title of this message, if you will, is a Commission to Co-Labor. So we're going to unpack that a little bit more. So I'm going to give you on the front end kind of uh, the, the parameters as to you know, what we're going to be talking about and doing here in this talk. So um, the idea is to give you the outline, to look at some passages together, to look at some applications, um, and then to pray about it. Um, but first, uh, in your bulletins there, or if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to read um, from 1 Kings um, 18. So, 1 Kings 18, 20 through 46. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull from themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you, call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull, and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on and offering 
of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bulls in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And then they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome story. So, what we have here is Elijah, the prophet doing something incredible by our, by our standards. So it, it had not rained for, you know, it, uh, the book of James, if you guys want to flip there, those of you who have your scripture with you. So James uh, chapter 5 um, also talks about, I'm sorry, James, yeah, James 5 also talks about um, Elijah, the second half of chapter 5, um, verses 16 through 18. Um, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three, and three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So what we see James, this half-brother of Jesus, pointing out is, guys, Elijah was just like you and I. So... What I want to point out now is, is this, um, this cyclical pattern of prayer that we see in Scripture. And it goes like this. Um, that we, we see this all throughout Scripture. So uh, we're going to look at some other passages too, but certainly there that what we just read in 2 Kings. So 
Step one, or item one, God reveals his purposes to his people. Step two, the people pray for his power to accomplish his purposes. Step three, item three, God releases his power to bring about his will and purposes. So it seems pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Um, but now, you know, let's think about the Lord's Prayer. We just prayed together that I kind of led you guys astray in because the wording there. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. But it's interesting the things that he's pointing out. He, he is telling his disciples to step into prayer alongside of God, to pray that God's kingdom might come, that his will might be done. He tells them to pray for their daily bread. And so it's, if you think about it, it's, it's a little interesting. You know, you think about the Sermon on the Mount too. You know, Jesus says, don't be anxious. You know, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. They're neither toiling nor spinning. The birds aren't freaking about, out about where their food is going to come from. And yet, their heavenly Father feeds them too. How much more will he take care of you, his children? And so there's this interesting, um, this interesting point or this, yeah, this idea that, that um, you know, for me was so challenging as I was given this message. So I'll say this too. I am borrowing heavily from MT coll- uh, MTW colleagues of mine and sharing this, uh, this message with you. So Ken and Tammy Matlick are kind of the, uh, the originators of what I'm sharing with you now. So credit to where credit is due. So this was shared with Savannah and I in a, in a, in a training that we went through a couple months ago. Um, and it just really... Um, rocked my world for a number of reasons um, when it comes to viewing prayer as an invitation to co-labor alongside of what the Lord is doing, what the Lord has done. Um, so this is, this is the pattern that we see. God reveals his purposes to his people. The people pray for his power to accomplish said purposes. God then releases his power in response to bring about his will and purposes. So, you know, the, the question that I was asking, you know, so why, why pray when we have these promises from Jesus in the New Testament? We know, God, he, you know, if you read Revelation, we know how it's all going to end, too. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Um, Jesus is telling us not to worry that the Lord will provide. Uh, and so for me, too, that, you know, for years and years and years, and even now, you know, honestly, something I still struggle with in my own prayer life is wrestling with this idea of, okay, well, God's, God's clearly sovereign. All things are in our Father's hands. And so what that caused me to do is hedge my bets in a way as I prayed to, to pull back from, from what prayer can be and should be and what the Lord wants it to be, the specificity. Uh, you know, so my prayers were more along the lines of, uh, you know, and, and again, too, I think it's also in James, this idea of um, not boasting about tomorrow, not being confident in what's going to come, you know. And so this idea in my prayers of, Lord, you know, you are so sovereign, you're so good, all things are in your hand, would you please allow this thing to happen? But if it doesn't, you know, that's okay, because you're God. Um, very timid. And so what we see here, um, really, the, the, in, in Second Kings that I just read, right there at the end, so it hadn't rained in three years. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah, and, and, and he says to Ahab, 
go, the sound of, of rain is coming. So Ahab goes off and, and parties or celebrates. Elijah's response to hearing God's, you know, step one, God reveals his purposes. He just revealed it. Rain's coming. Great. Elijah's response to that revelation of God's will and purpose is to go up to the top of Mount Carmel and to pray. It's like, well, why is he, why is he doing that? God just told him rain is coming. And so Elijah goes up and does this, does this uh, adopts this stance, putting his head between his, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, puts his head between his knees. Uh, and, and some commentators will, I think maybe many of them, will say this is actually an adoption of um, a birthing stance or technique of Middle Eastern women during that time. And so he is physically embodying what it looks like to labor in prayer. He says, it says he does it seven times. He's bowed down, his head between his knees. He's praying, even though God just told him the rain's coming. And so that's step two. The people of God pray for his power to accomplish his purposes, his will. And so Elijah recognized that, the invitation that the Lord had given to him, to us as God's people. And so he does this. He does this seven times. And then a, a hand, like, a, yeah, a cloud, like a, a hand of a man comes up out of the sea. The rain comes. And then, you know, the end of the passage, it's the, 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 the sky is dark. The wind is ripping. The, uh, the rain is coming. And so you're left kind of at the end of the passage. And so the question that stands then at that point is, so who, who brought the rain? Did God send the rain? Or did Elijah pray it in? It's both. That's, that's, that's part of the point here. And I, you know, I'm sure you guys are picking up on that. This idea that, and, and that's why this, this, the title of this is the commission to co-labor. And so obviously in this story, Elijah physically embodies that co-laboring attitude. He knows God has revealed this purpose to me. But I have a role to play in this. We have a role to play in all of the wills and all of God's will and purposes that He has revealed to us here in Scripture, to engage with God in order to and and it's such what's so amazing about this is that this is one of those things that this this is how God has chosen to set it up, insofar as He has chosen to bind Himself to us human human beings, He has. And not only has he done that and sent his Savior and died for us, all these, you know, the story of the gospel, this incredible message, but now he has also given us this uh, authority, um, spiritually so. We have been authorized to work alongside of the Creator God, you know, who many of us probably spoke with already this morning. We were just worshiping him. So this idea that at any moment we can be speaking with our Father God. And not only speaking with him, but knowing that he has extended an invitation to us. So um, another passage, 2 Samuel 7. Okay, so this is King David. So, Nathan gets word from God. Um, so I'm looking here at verses, um, well, it starts in verse 4, and it goes all the way through 17. And he's talking about, the God is talking to Nathan about the promises of what he is going to do, how he's going to invite 
David and his household and the idea of building the temple and Solomon being a part of that. And then Nathan shares these words, this vision, with David. And verse 18, we read, Then King David went in and sat down before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? So this whole section, all the way going down to the end of chapter 7, is, is David's response to being given the, the will of God. The prophet Nathan has just come and delivered to him, these are God's promises to you. And again, you know, I, I would think as I read that, I would do something similar to what King Ahab was doing in the other story. Great! That's awesome! David's response, knowing that his role in this story, as is ours, is I am God's people. Um, God has, has revealed these things to me, but now I have the opportunity to co-labor alongside of God to bring about, to ask him to release his power to accomplish that will and those purposes. And so, you know, he's, he's uh, you know, even in verse 25, he's, David's bold. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken, and your name will be magnified forever. You know, end of verse 27, Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Verse 29, Now therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant. God already said he would. And so again, another point in Scripture that we see this uh, three-step process playing out. God's revealed his purposes. His people recognize that and pray that God would release his power to accomplish those wills and pur- that his will and his purposes and God does. He answers as a result of that, look, my people are, are accepting this invitation from me. They're working with me to bring about my kingdom here on earth. Isaiah 37, or you could just go 2 Kings 19, since we were already in 2 Kings, um, is another story. This one is the prophet Isaiah and King Hezekiah. Um, so, that, yeah, it's really, you know, if we're in 2 Kings, it's, uh, it's 18 through 19. And so this idea of the Assyrians just absolutely decimating um, huge, huge portions of the land and cities, and they're approaching the holy city, and King Hezekiah and the people are scared. Um, the, the Assyrian king, I believe it was Sennacherib, you know, sends a messenger to the gates of the city, calling up to, uh, to the Jews in Hebrew, um, in their own language, to taunting them. Here we are, guys. We've laid waste to, to everything before us. You guys do not stand a chance. Um, this is your opportunity to capitulate, to, to, to essentially allow us to take advantage of you because we're going to destroy you anyways. Um, the people don't respond. King Ezekiah says, you know, don't, don't speak to them. The, the king, king Sennacherib, the Assyrians, are mocking God, mocking God's people. And they have. They have been absolutely destroying things. And so King Hezekiah and the people are in a place where it's, where, wow, yeah, absolutely terrified. Um, we read, though, the prophet Isaiah said to them, so this is verse 6, 2 Kings 19, 
um, when Hezekiah sent messengers to Isaiah to inquire, what, what is the Lord's word here? What is, what is his will? What's going to happen? What do we need to do? Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have, have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his homeland, his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So there we go. Isaiah's given the messengers the word. They take it back to Hezekiah. In the meantime, Sennacherib sends a, now he sends a written letter, a scroll, to deliver to King Hezekiah and the people. Again, spelling out the ways in which they are mocking and reviling Yahweh. And uh, Hezekiah's response to the, the, the title, Hezekiah's Prayer, verses 14 of 2 Kings 19, Hezekiah received this letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Then Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which, we, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Again, Hezekiah's response at receiving the word of the Lord is not to, great, rest back, kick his, kick his heels up. I mean, the Lord absolutely has a track record, a history in the Old Testament where that could be a pretty appropriate response. I mean, he led us out of Egypt in a pillar of fire by night. Um, this idea of, if God's spoken, it's going to happen. And yet, again, we see the response of God's people to engage in praying in that revealed purpose and will, and then God's response of doing so. I mean, that, the story ends, the Spirit of the Lord goes out and slays thousands of Assyrians. They go back to their homeland. It all falls apart. Not, you know, they don't lay a finger on the city and on Hezekiah and his people. God God answered the prayer. And yet once again, you know, okay, so, oh, and I, actually I missed a pretty key, key data point actually. So I know it says it specifically more in Isaiah. I haven't checked Second Kings. When, when, when Hezekiah actually laid that scroll out and prayed before the Lord, Isaiah then sends another messenger to Hezekiah while Hezekiah is in the midst of, you know, of praying to God in the house of the Lord. And and so this is the second word of the Lord to Isaiah through the messenger to Hezekiah, who's praying. And the messenger says, again, from God, Isaiah, the Lord said, and I'm paraphrasing, Hezekiah, because you have prayed before me, I will surely do what I have said. Again, paraphrasing. But this response of God, and so this, this, this story is unique in that, you know, we see the people of God responding in prayer and then, God putting his, you know, stamp of approval on that action, you know, teaching us this trifold thing that I'm laying out before you, that, that step two of the people praying for God to, and then God saying that, that, that is how I want it done. Because you have prayed, I will surely 
save you and bring about salvation and, and destruction to the Assyrians. You, you need not fear. As I've already said, but because you've prayed, I will do it. But because you've prayed. So again, it's like, okay, so did it, did it then happen because, Isaiah, uh, because Hezekiah prayed? Or because God had already said it? It's both. So, what, what are we supposed to, what are we supposed to pray for? How do, how do we translate this into, into our lives? Um, so I'll be, I know I'm going a little bit longer here, so I'll wrap up. So if you'll turn to Psalm 145, what we have here is a depiction of the kingdom of God. My pages are sticking together. So uh, Psalm 145, verses 5 all the way down through 20. Um, Let's see here. So yeah, I mean, well-known verses, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling down and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. A depiction of what the kingdom of God looks like and feels like and sounds like and operates like. And for us, living in the already but not yet, we look around us and we don't necessarily see that kingdom. We know that we are a part of it. We know that through this, um, this trifold idea of, of how we're meant to be praying, we're a part of praying that kingdom into the world around us. And so we have this depiction of what the kingdom looks like. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, if you want to flip there, we have a description of what kingdom people look like. I know I'm jumping all over. I'm giving you guys whiplash here in the Bible. But I love, I mean, the Bible flows so, so incredibly well together. And so and that's part of what I want to be showing to you. I mean, and I'm preaching to the choir, but this idea of like, they're, they're, this story fits together. I mean, even as I said in James, you know, James is talking about Elijah. He was a man just like us. Um, so anyways, Matthew 5, you know, we won't, we're not going to read the specifics here, but just even looking at the titles going through the Sermon on the Mount, describing, again, parts of what the kingdom looks like, but of what kingdom people look like. Um, salt and light, Christ coming to fulfill the law, anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, the Lord's Prayer, which we prayed um, together just now, fasting, laying up treasures in heaven. Do not be anxious, which I've already mentioned just a bit ago. Judging others. And so, I've given you Psalm 145 as a description of the kingdom. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, a description of God's people. And so that is part of answering this question of, what am I, what are we to pray for? 
We have lots of things going on in our own lives to, to specifically be praying about, certainly. The gap, though, between what we know his kingdom to be and what is coming and what is being revealed and what we as God's people should look like and act like and speak like. So these are standards that, that, that we don't meet and that we don't see around us. And so there's obviously a gap in the world around us, our Sunday through Saturday. And so that is our prayer assignment. That is step two, what, what we as God's people can be praying for, that God might release his power to accomplish his will and his purposes. We want the kingdom of God where we are. We know the king, we know his kingdom, and so there's this idea that yes, all is in God's hands, but we have been called to pray, regardless of the fact that yes, he is sovereign. He has... He, he has Set it up that way, as I've already said. And so that, for me, as I've kind of already mentioned, and, and I'm hoping for you, was the encouragement and the challenge. Something for me to continuously be sitting on and growing in, going, man, <laughs> I, I need to continuously be, um, again, not as a performance before God, but really truly understanding my, our, as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of God, our true yeah, the true power that he really has given to us to co-labor alongside of him in his work. Uh, not just in prayer, but then, of course, allowing the, out, the outflowing of our prayer life to be manifested in how we live, how we speak, how we commune, how we help and serve and give. Um, and so, yeah, this is, this, is, this is essentially an invitation to us. God stands there with his arms wide open, you know, the, the story of the prodigal son receiving us in. But not only that, but extending out his hand to us, an invitation, going, not only have I just accepted you in and forgiven you and I loved you, but now I have work for you to do. And so that's, that is what we should be considering. That is, that is the invitation that I hope that we can all hear more clearly each and every day. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this morning. Again, thank you for this opportunity to bounce around in Scripture, to see all of these um, wonderful ways in which you, our God, have equipped your people, have extended to us this invitation to join you in the work that you are bringing about all around us. We are so grateful, we are so amazed that you would be willing to place that kind of trust and authority into, into our hands, into our lives. We rely upon you, but we ask for boldness and confidence and courage to truly accept that invitation, to truly step into the work that you have given us to do. Would you please not only give us the boldness and the courage to do it, but the joy and the excitement to be one who does co-labor alongside of you. I pray and I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.